0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who was as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles, to the obedience that comes from faith. And you are, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Thank you, uh, Emily. <clears throat> it's good to be with you today. Uh, it's good to be able to share with you. Uh, When uh, Murray uh, contacted the college and asked if someone could take today because everyone didn't didn't want to be too active on the long weekend. Thanks, Brian. Uh, (laughs) uh, I said, I'd love to because I haven't been to Dural for uh, some little time. And uh, Murray gave me the choice. I could either do James 3 because apparently that's where the series is up to or I could do something else that was on my heart and I offered to do both, and Murray came back and said, well, why don't you do something that's on your heart? And I'm very glad I did after that children's talk, otherwise the service would now be over. (laughs) What more do you need to say on James 3 after that? So whoever's got James 3 next week, I think you ought to go to James 4. (laughs) I think James 3 is done. Let me just share with you, uh, what I want to share with you today is, for me... One of the most important things, look, we live in trying times, exciting times, but trying times if your world is anything like mine. Uh, Some of you know that uh, for a number of years, I had the privilege of being the president of the Asia Pacific Baptist Federation. And when you go through Asia and the Pacific, as uh, Brian would know, you see incredible opportunities. We might not be aware, but 60% of the world's population actually lives in Asia and the Pacific. 63% actually. Uh, When you look at the millennial population of our world, you take China, India and Indonesia, and they are the three major nations, the first three nations with a millennial population. Although you've got 63% of the world in Asia and the Pacific, only 10% are Christians. And that's Christian in any context, any label. But in that kind of environment, you've got extraordinary things taking place. For example, we have 30,000 Baptist churches. We have 150 theological colleges. We have 60 conventions. But in that world of Asia and the Pacific, you've also got the greatest human rights abuses, You've also got the greatest need from natural disasters. A complex world where we have that delight of seeing God moving, but also we know it's a world of great need. And the same is true when we come to Australia. Uh, when we, perhaps we could have that up on the screen. Thank you. When we come to Australia, we see many exciting things happening, don't we? But we also know there is a great need. Uh, this chart from McCrindle and Associates, and I don't know if you know uh, McCrindle and Associates, Mark McCrindle, they do most of the demographics these days, social demographics you see on Sunrise or whatever, and I always like to tell people he's a morning graduate. Um, but when you see that uh, chart, what you see there is if you put all the Protestants together in Australia, all of them together, that is about 18% of the population whether they be Pentecostal, Baptist, liberal, conservative, 18%. When you look at those who are spiritual but not religious, that's 19%. And when you look at those who say they have no actual religious commitment, the nuns, that's what they're called, they have no actual religious commitment, they don't acknowledge anything on the census or anything else, that's about 30%. Of Australian population. The mistake is to assume they're atheists. Australians aren't atheists. Even though the latest ABC report that's come out today with about religious talk and who are we in Australia suggests that all those people are atheists. No, no, they're not. Most of those people are spiritual but not religious as well, but they're only dabblers. The spiritual but religious, not religious, tend to be main players. So that's about 50% of Australians have no church connections at all. And they're actually looking for meaning in life outside of the church. I say often, it's not that Australians are becoming less and less spiritual, they're simply becoming less and less Christian. Less and less connected to the church. That's a great challenge, isn't it? (laughs) That's exciting. I mean, we live in a time where God has still resourced us. I mean, I've just come back from Perth. And Vos College over there has joined with us. So, Malling is now East and West Coast, Evangelical, Baptist, a delightful group of people over there. We're talking to others. People are working out how we do this better today, how we do it together, what are the opportunities God has given us. So, it's exciting, but it's challenging. It was exciting and challenging for Paul. He's in Corinth, probably. He's writing to a church he's never visited. He's writing to journal and he's never been here. He probably knows that when he does get to Rome, he's going to lose his life, going to be martyred. We think probably the time of Nero is just about to start, or it's early days. We know that he's reaching a church. We don't know how it was founded. I don't even know if Paul does probably from Jews or Gentiles that around Acts 2 at uh, Pentecost, heard the message, went back and established the church. Rome, of course, is the centre of all politics, all legal stuff. It's the centre. He's riding into that environment. And in the first seven verses, you have his greeting to them, like us. Asia-Pacific, his greeting into a world that is complex, exciting, challenging, gospel going forth, at incredible cost perhaps, to people's lives. How does he begin his greeting? This is what you should be doing? This is what you are doing? Or why? Why are we here? Why are we here? Why are you here as a church of Rome? And he really begins, I believe, saying, why are we here? We are here, if we just go back to the first slide for a sec. We are here, no, the one after, sorry. We are here because our world needs distressed hearts. We need them in Asia, and we need them in Australia. We need them in the Pacific. When you read through Romans chapter 1, and you get real hints of this, as Paul says, I've got to come to you, in verse 5. I'm coming to the Gentiles. And he goes on and says in Romans 1, you know, I've been delayed, but I'm still going to get to you. You get this incredible sense of passion that nothing is going to hold Paul back from getting to Rome even though he knows it's going to be costly. Why? Because he's got a duty to the gospel, because it's a message of grace and peace. You actually see that in when he goes to the Greeks for the first time in Athens. And as he goes into Athens and the Greeks are there and he comes to the Areopagus to speak, how does he begin? He begins with tears. He was distressed by all the other gods around. Friends, I strongly believe that if we are to meet the challenge of our age for Asia, Pacific, and for Australia, we need to take up the sentiment of Paul in these seven verses as seen as Paul's ongoing writings. He was distressed. Are we stressed for our neighbours? They're exploring alternative spirituality with no connection to Jesus. Are we distressed for our family? Are we distressed for Asia? I think that's the key to revival. I think we can almost finish now and go home. If we're not distressed, we will just be, what are we doing? What's it look like? What's our programs? There will be no why. Secondly, we see in this passage, thank you, the next slide, we see in this passage why? Because we have been chosen. So we're asking, what's going on here? What are the whys? In some sense, they're the forgotten whys. What do we need to remember if we're going to be the people who are change agents and working in our community and building ourselves up again? Why are we here? Because God needs distressed hearts. Why are we here? Because we're chosen, set apart. This church is not our idea. Our being here is not our idea. Paul makes it very clear in these verses, he was chosen to be an apostle and a servant, and you are chosen, as he goes on in in the end of that passage, uh, verses 6 and 7, to illustrate that we are chosen as well. I like to say that God didn't wake up in the morning. Now, God doesn't wake up, but I'm just using a kind of metaphor. God didn't wake up in the morning and thought, Oh, I wonder if Gerald Baptist is going this morning on a long weekend or whether they've all gone out bush or something. I mean, God knows. He preordained who we are, where we meet, what takes place. Nothing surprises him. Why are we here? Because he's chosen us individually and collectively to be his servants at this time in this place for his service. That's the why. We're distressed. We know God's called us. And uh, we sung about it this morning. He makes it very clear that those he has called he loves with an overwhelming love. He goes on and says, those he has called, not only does he love... They are holy, they are saints, all of them. There's no elite standing in the church. There are not this group over here are saints, and that group over there are the hangers-on. All of us are holy. All of us are saints before God. All of us are equal. This is revolutionary to that day. In that day, only the elite had standing. Here, we all have standing. And we all receive grace and peace. The western part of the church was going to go on and focus on grace. The eastern side of the church was going to go on and focus on peace. It's lovely here that Paul's got both together. We know grace of Christ, but also we know peace. Shalom. One with God, one with each other, one with our neighbour, one with creation. Why are we here? We're chosen. We're chosen. Also, why are we here? We're here because it's God's gospel. It's not Brian's gospel, Murray's gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not a Hillsong gospel. It's not a Ross Clifford gospel. It's not a Spurgeon gospel. It's not a Wycliffe gospel. It is God's gospel which Paul nails in verses 1 and 2. And he goes on in verse 2 to show how we can be sure it's God's gospel because it's come to us from the Scriptures. It's come to us through the Scriptures. By that, he means the Old Testament. The gospel is found through the Scriptures. It is not me speaking, says Paul. It's not Peter speaking. It's God speaking to us. Why are we here? We're here. Because God's called us to be distressed, to be servants of his gospel. And it's interesting when you look at this gospel that uh, we've been called to hold to, we'll see that it's a twofold testimony. Now, if you do any study with me at Morling, you'll know that uh, this for me is extremely significant. This is exactly what Jesus does as well and Paul does elsewhere. What's this gospel look like? You know, if you go through all the sermons in Acts, you'll find basically this pattern from the time of Pentecost up until Acts 17. Particularly when Paul and Peter and others are dealing with a Jewish synagogue-based audience. When they're dealing with God-fearers, when they're dealing with people who send their kids to church and turn up at you know, Christmas and Easter and whatever. They're out there, but they're not actually totally committed. And what's this twofold gospel? It is God's gospel, but it's a gospel that is evidenced and based on the fact of one. It's a fulfilment of Old Testament scripture. It's from the scriptures, he says. The Old Testament scripture. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He unpacked in verses forty-four. He um, uh, in, on the road to Emmaus, Luke twenty-two. He unpacks how all of the scriptures pointed to him, his life, death, and resurrection. It is a scripture-based gospel. It's a fulfillment of scripture. And then secondly, the resurrection establishes it, as this shows. People ask me, why did you write the book, The Cross Is Not Enough? Isn't it controversial? No, not at all there's no resurrection, you wouldn't be here. I was speaking at uh, Trinity Grammar School. They asked me to take all year 11s, and, um, which was interesting. It was on the resurrection. They'll be doing some work on it. And I think one of the guys asked me a question. They always put on a Q&A like, uh, <clears throat> well, well, how can I have any basic confidence that the resurrection has any truth and has any application today? And it just hit me. Well, you wouldn't be at school if it didn't happen. He said, what do you mean? I said, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a Trinity Grammar School. There's only a Trinity, Gra- Trinity Grammar School because Jesus Christ arose. you would be somewhere else. Oh. Think about it. If Jesus had not been raised, there would, as Paul says, no forgiveness of sin, no future, no hope. Every sermon in Acts always it's the only doctrine that ever touches always touches on every sermon finishes with the resurrection of jesus why because this gospel and verse 4 is a bit tricky but verse 4 is saying basically what was not clear in the incarnate christ what was not necessarily clear in his life And death has become totally clear in his resurrection, even though we see dimly, but clear for us that he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's exalted, he's on high, and his church will conquer in his name. He's the risen one. Why are we here? Because we are the holders of God's gospel that is established on Scripture, and verified by the risen King. I've just noted there, which you might be interested in, uh, if you're actually dealing with uh, an atheist or a sceptic today, the passage they hate the most is the one that they can't really pick apart. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, everyone agrees. basically sceptic and Christian alike. It's written by Paul. There's no doubt about that. As you read it, is as it was written. Where do we go with this? And within the first couple of years, this seems to be the or statement of the church. Oh my gosh. These guys actually believed it and they said it very early and they give witnesses to the event. What I received I passed on to you. Christ died, buried and rose again according to the scriptures for the forgiveness of... Of sin and then he appeared to Cephas and the twelve have you got it exactly the same it comes from the Old Testament and it's verified in his resurrection it doesn't change it doesn't change so it's God's gospel if we could move on thank you next slide because of Jesus why are we here because of Jesus yeah there's a lot of gurus and prophets out there and a lot of stories why because of Jesus. This passage reminds us he is both God and man. Friends from the very beginning of the church right up until today. This is the basic two heresies about Jesus. Oh no, he wasn't really God, he's just a great man, or okay, okay, he is God but in a mythical kind of way, you know, Harry Potter kind of way. Uh, a Gandalf kind of way, uh, an echelon kind of way, in, but he's not actually an historical kind of God. He's just a myth. He's both God and man. This is revolutionary. How do we know? Paul tells us in this introduction, he is a descendant of David. He's got a human ancestry. Check it out. He's actually material. He's actually walked the earth. He's actually bone and flesh. But he's God. Look at verse 4. He's been raised up. He is the Almighty One. Raised up by the Father. Paul, in his first words, remind us That Jesus is both God and man John the prophet in his last words in Revelation chapter 22 in his last words says Jesus says the same thing about himself because God knows this is going to be the stumbling block for so many that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega in verse 13 and 22 he is the first and the last terms that are only used of God the Father are used of Jesus he is the alpha and omega he is the first and the last he is the divine one and verse 16 by the way same this paul he's a descendant of david doesn't change same pattern both god and man what difference does that make because jesus is a man <laughs> He understands our journey. He understands our hurts. He understands betrayal. He understands silence when people should be noisy. He understands noisy when people should be silent. He understands physical disaster. He understands at times what it must mean to be separated from the Father. In our human experience, there's nothing that he can't identify, says says, uh, Hebrews 4. And because he's man, he can take the sin of mankind upon his back. But because he's God, he can defeat that sin. No more sacrifices needed. It is paid for, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because he's risen, that's established he could take it all. If he's man, he'd still be there. Even the best man we'd ever heard of, still be there. Still in my sin. Best angel, still on the ground, still in my sin. He is God. Done. Exalted. Why are we here? There is no other way of life that introduces them to a saviour who is both God and man. Who understands, who walks, who hears, who's with us and who forgives us. It's extraordinary. Not only that, why are we here? Because... uh, I'm just trying to read that last one. Why are we here? Oh, knowing and rejoicing, the truth of this doesn't depend on us. This is a biggie. Why are we here? We're not here, friends, to go out there and tell the world, God is good, you're not, do better. We're not here to go and tell the world that it depends on me and it's, let's find another 10 self-help books, 52 Ways to Make It Better with Jesus. Now, by the way, I've got a new book coming out. That's not a plug for that. <laughs> on the resurrection life and discipleship. It's not that we're not here to help people to grow and to become who God has called them to be. Why are we here? Because we know this truth of being called. We know this truth about the person of Jesus and following him. We know the truth of responding to a distressed world doesn't depend on me. That's liberating. That's liberating. Liberating, where a world is trying to find a spirituality that works, and it's about how can I pull myself up from my own bootstraps? How can I do better and, better and better and better and better and better, off the treadmill, off the treadmill, because these events happened in history. Paul's making it very clear. This is a man who walked this earth. This is a man who has resurrected and appeared in history. This is a gospel that is from God. It's not a gospel of human making. It's not of me, it is of him. I received a letter that some of you might be aware of a little while ago, and the letter actually um, said to me that uh, the woman writing to me uh, wanted a little track I'd written called Resurrection Fact or Fiction for um, Crossover. And she said, look, my story is my husband has dementia. He's had dementia for some time. He's only in his 60s. He's in a special place now. I visited him as often as I can, three or four times a week. It takes me an hour and a half to get there by public transport. Uh, He has no idea who I am, as far as I'm aware. And the last time I was there, the staff thought they were doing me a great service when they said, oh, you'd love to know that the medical tests show that your husband's going to live for another 20 years. I said, I can't take it. And she said, Ross, I've got a great church and friends, they all give me big hugs, fantastic. But I just need to know it's true. I just need to know that what I've invested my life in and what my husband invested his life in is true. I'm barren, I'm bare, there's nothing here, have you been there? There's nothing here but when I know that he is risen, when I know that he is the one of David, when I know he understands and he is with us and he is the risen one and it's God's gospel, then I can survive no matter how I feel. What happens to my church? What happens to my college? Whatever they say, whatever happens in me, in the end, it's not of me, it is God. I can push on. Now, of course, she's seeking that ingrowing work of the Spirit in her life. But at this time of barrenness, you can just step back and say, I'm still in here. I've still been called. The world is still distressed. I've still got God's gospel. It is a certain gospel. And it goes beyond my experience. And then, finally, if we can, what is the why? Why are we here? It's grace, isn't it? We read in this passage. It's grace. It's <laughs> it's grace. Why are we here? It's grace. And I've given you a little quote there from C.S. Lewis. You might not be able to read it, but uh, you can, no problem getting the um, live stream or whatever you're Uh C.S. Lewis is in a conference. You all know who C.S. Lewis is. You know the great. Narnia and whatever he's at a conference and there's a great debate going on comparative religious conference. What makes Christianity unique? And he, when he, well, when C.S. Lewis is informed about what the conversation is, some are saying it's his virgin birth, and uh, you know others are saying, well, hang on, most religions have some kind of virgin birth, even though they're not historical, they're a myth, but they have one. And then there's someone else says oh, it's about the resurrection, and most religions have. A resurrection, even though it's myth. Why? Because we have a common story, and Nestle on the line. And Harry Potter and uh, and Tolkien all have heroes that are to die and rise again. They're all telling the same story. There is only one, folks. But although Christianity is historical, and they're all mispointed to the history, he goes on and says, "Well, you know." What's the difference? That's easy. We're the only ones with grace. It's not about who I am. It's about what he has done. It's grace. Why did Paul write to the Church of Rome? Why did he go to the Church of Rome? He's distressed. He knows he's been given God's gospel. He knows it's an authentic gospel. He knows it's a gospel... That meets our need no matter what part of life we are in or experiencing. He knows it's a gospel of grace. He knows it's a gospel that God has called him to to share. Gerald Baptist, Ross Clifford, Morland College, the What's and the Hows are very significant. Very significant. But life comes from the why the why why are we here when we get the why right we cannot we cannot lose our way let me pray for us father god why are we here <laughs> paul makes it very clear you've chosen us you've called us you've set us apart you've given us a task you've handed to us your gospel a gospel that touches us in our own very heart and being and forgiveness and hope and a new day, but a gospel where Australians who are so desperately spiritual but unsure about the church want to hear about this way of grace from the people who live the way of grace. Father, empower us to be your people and not forget the steps of the why we are here.